I saw like basically everything, you know, like everything being chopped apart, everything going through the lines and being packaged and all that stuff. And when I was in there, I was like, this is just like a massive butcher shop and I didn't care. And I left that day and I saw like seven trucks lined up outside filled with pigs. And I had to walk by these trucks like right next to them to get to my car. And it was like that moment, I feel like I wanna cry, <laughs> that I just saw all these pigs and I knew they were gonna die. And they all looked terrified, like screaming and their eyes were bloodshot and they were just freaked out. And like, it's, it was as if they knew that it was coming. And that was like the moment that I became vegan. Hello everyone. Welcome back, or if you were listening in for the first time, welcome to the Veg Talk podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Davey, and this week's guests are Hannah and Derek Howlett, the awesome couple behind the YouTube channels High Carb Hannah and also Handyman. Before we jump into the show, a short update on where Anna and I are currently at. The travel for us has slowed down a little bit in the past week. Airman is parked at Anna's parents' house, no planes or buses, which gave us some time to hang out with family here in Xochitlpec. A nice change of pace after the last three months on the road. However, I personally do find myself missing the van life and look forward to picking that back up again later in the year. We continue to upload travel vlogs onto YouTube. Anna has made some awesome videos of our time in Tulum. So if you'd like to stay up to date, go and find her on YouTube at Anna Alarcon. That's A-L-A-R-C-O-N and one N in Anna. There is a link in my Instagram bio, which you can follow to her page. I'd like to thank you all for the huge response to last week's show with Dr. Angie Sadegi. It was amazing to see how many people were sharing the conversation and tuning in from around the globe. Don't forget, if you have a spare moment after the show, please jump on iTunes and leave a review or a rating. It only takes a minute and goes a long, long way to helping us spread the plant-based message and vegan message to a wider audience. Your support to date has been amazing and I truly, truly appreciate it. Now for this week's show. You might remember me sharing a week in early January where Anna left to the Bahamas for her best friend's bachelorette party. During that week, I decided to drive from Los Angeles to Benson, Arizona to meet up with Hannah and Derek at their property. If you do follow them on YouTube, you already know they have built an awesome off-grid tiny home with rainwater catchment and also a huge solar setup. In today's conversation, we will hear from Hannah and Derek on their reasons for becoming vegan, why they decided to live in a tiny home and how they can financially support themselves from working online. Just before the hour mark, we also dive into their experience with psychedelics, a very interesting conversation. I hope you do enjoy the show. Look forward to chatting with you afterwards. All right, guys. So today I've driven out to well, past Tucson, Arizona. A uh, little bit of little bit of a fun drive out here from from the Los Angeles area. I'm with Derek and Hannah Howlett. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I really do appreciate you giving up the time. No problem. You said you were going to drive like seven, eight hours to come do this podcast. So props to you for the. Uh... We're going out and getting it, so we'll yeah, sit I down and we'll do her up. You guys have got a pretty cool story, so well, yeah. you've each individually got very cool stories. So I, I really wanted to share it um, with my listeners. I think they'll they'll really enjoy it, and I think they can learn a lot from you guys. So I think to start off, it'd be cool to just hear a little bit individually about 
you know, what you were doing um, before, before, you know, the tiny house before mm. um, everything that I suppose people know you for now. Sure. I so, mean, how far back do you want to go? <laughs> so at the time of this recording, we're 32 years old. And I first started getting into veganism, uh, I think when I was like 24, 25. And so actually I read on a guy's blog that going raw vegan could help with like skin. So I had really bad cystic acne uh, growing up. And I'd basically tried everything at that point. So done all the pharmaceuticals, Accutane, all that kind of stuff. So I was just like, I'll, I'll try anything. And so then he made a good point of, you know, influencing and changing your diet. So that's really what kind of started me into it. And I started eating raw vegan. And that was kind of a nightmare and a mess in and of itself. And then over time, I definitely graduated to um, a more kind of like starch-based diet. So lots of rice, lots of beans, all that kind of stuff. After you met me. After you. Uh, I was kind of like no, getting into it a little bit. Yes, I was. Because there was no way I was 100% raw. Yeah, but you weren't like starch-based. You were more no. fruit-based. Yeah. Even when I met you, you were... You, oh, yeah. The first time he oh, came yeah, to right. my house, he was like, <laughs> I asked him, what do you want me to buy for you to eat? Because I lived alone. And he's like, as long as you got a box of bananas, you're fine. And then I don't even think he ate like one of those bananas that entire time. Because I cooked all the food. Yeah, that's right. But you just said you'd have 10 banana smoothies every well, day. Well, we must have like any. frozen them or something. I don't. It was a lot of bananas. It was a lot know. of bananas. Well, 40 pounds is a lot of bananas. Um, so I started getting into it. Um, I basically got to a point in my career. I was working as an electrician. And I really didn't want to do it anymore. Because um, I was learning about like off-grid living and natural building styles um, just by watching like YouTube videos. And I thought, this is really cool. And this is definitely going to be something that I'd be really interested in. So instead of um, continuing my career as an electrician, I just basically gave my, my boss at the time four weeks notice, packed up everything, sold whatever I could, and then traveled out to the west coast of Canada and lived in British Columbia um, for about six or seven months while I was out there. Um, I was just like why don't I go do a bike tour and start YouTube and start promoting a plant-based diet? So that's what I started doing there. Um, I bike toured through Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand. Then I went to Australia and then bike toured through Australia as well. Um, and then actually I went back to Southeast Asia and did another tour through Malaysia and Thailand. And then I, and I think all those trips together were close to about 10,000 kilometers that I rode on my bike. So there's, for any Americans listening, that's over 6,000 miles. It's not like a huge amount. Like there's definitely people that have done bigger bike tours, but they're typically in about 3,000 kilometer legs. So I do about 3,000 kilometers at a time. And, you know, it'd probably take me a few months to do that and just live in, live in the dream and just kind of like what you're doing here. So I was bike touring and a lot of the times I was just like sleeping out on the side of the road. Cause I didn't want to spend 10, 15, $20 for a place to camp. So it's just a way to save money. I just wake up. So I'd stealth camp. So I had like a little bivy tent or um, hammock tent. And I just went and camped out on the side of the road and just did that. Um, it was actually really easy to do through Australia because it's so vast and there's so much open space and so many natural forests and stuff like that. It was really easy to do there. Um, but it was definitely the most dangerous for riding my bike. Um, I ended up moving back to Canada um, and lived in BC for a little bit longer and then moved back to where I grew up in London, Ontario. And I was basically at that point, I was just kind of like sick of my life because I'd been doing all this traveling and I didn't, I was still working at a grocery store making minimum wage. I was like 27, 28 years old. So I, I kind of felt like a loser at that point in my life because 
like I'd gone and done all this cool stuff, but I was still essentially at the same point in my life, living in my parents' basement, working minimum wage job. Um, so I basically, I knew that I wanted um, like a home. I knew I wanted a place that I could actually go and call my own home. And so I had watched a documentary on tiny homes and I was just like, I was amazed that this one guy actually built this house by himself. I was like, that is incredible. How does this guy do that? Um, and actually go through the entire process. So I just started watching a ton of YouTube videos on it. I had the dream and I had the vision in my mind that I wanted to live in an off-grid tiny house with my dream girl. And so it's kind of like weird looking back at that now because that's kind of what has come to fruition. And so I really got into it. And after Hannah and I met, we did talk about living in a tiny house and kind of living an alternative life. And originally we wanted to go live in Hawaii. That was like our yeah. first plan. I wasn't on board. With yeah, the you weren't. You weren't on board at all. No. What was but, your initial reaction? I mean, I should have listened to my initial reaction. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, I just thought it. I thought it was ridiculous. I don't know. I mean, it's tiny in here, right? <laughs> <laughs> Bigger than a van, though. Bigger than a van, but I mean, I had a house I, that I bought and I lived in for five years, and I lived alone. So having someone else come into my life and then living in 200 square feet didn't really sound like the best time of my life, you know? But, I mean, it hasn't been too bad. <laughs> so how did you come around to the to the idea of it? I actually, one of my coworkers watched that documentary and she was talking about how awesome it was and all this stuff. And then me and Derek were talking at the time and I thought the tiny house thing was stupid, but I went home and I watched it and I was like, yeah, that is pretty cool. And at that point, I just started getting rid of so much stuff in my life that I got really into the minimalism thing. Like, I think at one point I got rid of all my makeup. I only had, like, certain clothes. I just donated everything and slept on the floor. <laughs> like, you know, the natural route that people take when they... Just didn't didn't I tell you to sleep on the floor? Did that come from me? Because I, I was sleeping know. on the floor, too. I don't know. He would sleep <laughs> on the floor next to his bed. Yeah. Like who's, how ridiculous. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It, it, it's actually more comfortable. It's not. Like it can become more comfortable than sleeping in a bed, especially if you have a, like a really thick mattress. I just, I, mean, I just don't like the really soft I wouldn't go mattresses. out and get rid of your bed just to sleep on the floor though. No, I, w I wouldn't do that either. I have slept on the floor a little bit. We had Anna's sister stay with us and we were living in a really small studio in just outside of Boston. And she's like, oh, we can all sleep in the bed together. You know, it's fine. I was like, I'd rather not. I'd rather yeah. not have three people in the bed. No. Like, you guys sleep in the bed and I'll... So I just slept on the floor at the end of the bed and I was having some of the best sleeps. Yeah. yeah. It's not bad. No, it's not bad I mean, all. the sleep that we get in this tiny house because our, our bed in our loft has just a mattress pad, it's pretty comfortable. Mm -hmm. It'll be weird having a normal bed because yeah. we are building another house because we have to to technically have this tiny house on our property. So it'll be weird to like actually have a bed. Do you but, think it will be yeah. weird going into a like a larger space as well? No, <laughs> it, <laughs> I think it'll be amazing. It it it'll kind of it'll it'll seem a little bit weird at first, just because you could do like a cartwheel in there and like things like that. It's like wow, I can like actually do stuff inside this house. Whereas this one here, like this is really limited in terms of what you can really do in it. So it's like we've got our two lofts, we've got the kitchen, and that's kind of like it. And obviously like the bathroom and stuff. So, yeah, but. The thing, I think Derek and I are both very introverted people that kind of like our space. 
So for us, like you're in this house right now, you see that it's one room, like it's one room. You can't go anywhere in this house unless you go in the bathroom and have any privacy. So, I mean, mm-hmm. essentially he's always in that loft, the other loft, which is, te- I guess, our office loft. <laughs> Derek's loft and then there's my loft and we're both sitting in our lofts all day working on stuff so we're like just across from each other all day it'll just be nice to have it'll be nice to get away from him (laughs) quite honestly separate spaces Mm -hmm. yeah to have like an office have a place where I can do yoga have like a big kitchen and have space and storage and Mm -hmm. not have to go to the grocery store every day and stuff that suits like your your lifestyle basically you know your you're cooking a lot of food for YouTube, I'm assuming. A larger kitchen would be beneficial to you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this kitchen is nice. It's just... Yeah, it's beautiful. Just a more space. Yeah. yeah. And even just being able to have, like, friends and family over and people being able to stay with us. Like, that would be really nice to be able to do that. But right now, like, you could park your van out here and stay. But, like, we don't have that kind of, like, homey feel where, you know, we have bedrooms and all that kind of stuff. And we can actually have, like, people, like, stay over. Yeah. yeah which would be really nice i mean if you see most tiny housers they only live in their tiny houses for usually a couple of years okay because i mean i couldn't i couldn't imagine living in this for the rest of my life even if it was just us just because i want to be able to like do things other than just sleep and cook and go to the bathroom in my house you know we can't do anything else really in here but has it served a purpose yeah for Absolutely. sure yeah. I mean, for us to be able to build this house, live in it for years, save enough money to technically build another house with like cash on this property and have no debt still is amazing. Mm-hmm. That is very cool. I've, yeah, I've uh, watched you guys for a little while and it's definitely one of the main uh, takeaways from both of your channels is the, uh, you know, the financial freedom, independence, whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. um, and building that yourself. Yeah empowering yourself to to get to that position and i think Uh, people look at us now and they'll they'll like we in my videos at least people give me a lot of shit on my videos because they'll be like i thought you were a minimalist like you're building another house like you bought furniture like what's wrong with you it's like well we technically legally can't live in this house we have to build another house we've talked about this but people will think you know minimalism is only having like five things when it's like it's having a purpose for everything you have, you know? Yeah. It's not about how little you have, it's how well you use the things that you do have. And um, where was I going with that? <laughs> well, I think we're, if you if you catch a memory, um, just jump in. But the minimalists, those guys, they say that like once you declare that you're a, a minimalist, everything becomes steeped in irony. I think that's the, the yeah. words they use. Um, and I couldn't agree more because you know, oh, I'm a pretty minimal person. Oh, why do you have this? Mm. Why do you have that? Why are you building mm. another house, Hannah? Yeah. That's not right. very minimal of you. But, yeah, Hannah. <laughs> but, it, but it's what you put in the house. You know, right. you, you'll purposely, intentionally fill that house with what you need rather than clog yeah. every little space. Mm. I know where I was going. So people look at us now that we have, you know, a big, like say we have, we have a lot of money saved, right? And we've worked really hard and like we've lived very minimally for years. Like we lived in the crappiest apartment where like someone got shot and just like ridiculous. No I mean, a guy shot his wife in the face, like the in day- the apartment, in the apartment complex that we oh, lived in. Ridiculous. Yeah. While you were living there? Yes. Yes. Holy shit. 
yeah it was crazy. so that was like that but, was almost we're almost about to move out at that point because i think we're we then, already had the tiny house done yeah so we're but, all we're almost out, well, that, out there anyways that was good like, timing then. it was good time yeah. but i mean we roughed it for like a year and a half in that apartment and saved all our money so we could buy this property and build this house and then like once we had this we didn't have any money again so like now we've lived in this for almost two years saved a lot of money to be able to build a house and like you know have solar and rainwater catchment and build all these things on this property but people will look at us and be like oh they have so much money or whatever like they're building a house and they're successful and they have no debt and it's like we roughed it for a very long time and we like continue to live minimally and rough it in a sense to be able to have that financial freedom yeah, yeah and, a, and a big thing is like people don't really understand like how much goes into like creating a social media following um which you're probably learning as well it's like when you first get started it's like nobody really gives a shit about what you're talking about or what you're doing and so it's mm -hmm. just like this constant persistence of like putting videos out putting out content like you've been doing youtube for like four years now five four or five years like i've been on there for like six or seven years but no one patting you on the back for a very long time basically you yeah. have yeah. to put the work out because you're enjoying it sure yeah yeah and obviously there's got to be you know, you've got to, you've got to want to do it. And there's got to be a bigger purpose behind it, like with whatever you're doing, like with life, especially. And yeah, there's just, a, there's a lot that goes into it. And a lot of people just don't really understand. Like we have friends that want to get into social media as well and start posting YouTube videos and they post, you know, for a few weeks and then they kind of drop off and then they kind of get back and do it again. And it's like, yeah, you or really, yeah. Like if, if you really want to get into it and you want it to be substantial over the long term, it's like there's going to be probably years where there's not going to be very much in terms of mm -hmm. financial gain or a lot of attention. But there's usually like a point where you hit where you start gaining some traction. Yeah, it took me a year to get even my first AdSense payment from YouTube, which you only have to make $100 to hit like the threshold to get a check. But it took me a year to actually get that payment. I think it took me longer than that. And but my channel wasn't as cool as yours, so. Yeah. I mean, now at, like, almost 700,000 subscribers, it's, like, just once it starts rolling, I feel like, I don't know, what you said with you have to be really consistent. It's not even just about consistency because we also have friends who post every single day. Oh, yeah, day, that's true. That's but they true. have no purpose or, like, passion to kind of help others it's just really documenting their life and no mm -hmm. one cares because no one knows who this person is right but once you like shift it from it's not about me and my life it's about helping others and like bringing mm -hmm. awareness to the things that i'm passionate about and doing that in like an authentic creative way that no one else is doing it that's when people get like gain traction so i suppose like the you know we can sometimes focus on let's say a number of followers that you have mm -hmm. but more importantly correct me if i'm wrong is the community behind that right. the involvement of everyone in that community mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not just having seven hundred thousand youtube followers like they actively look to you for sound advice on on health and nutrition yeah um you've built that community and i'm sure that took a lot of work as well yeah I mean, I've studied so much from like getting my Cornell certificate in plant-based nutrition and done so much stuff online, but I don't want to, I don't want to be like that person 
who is telling other people what to do. It's more about me living my life from an authentic place and sharing like what I'm struggling with. And like, you know, I might not have a perfect body image because I lost so much weight and I went through like body dysmorphia and I went through all this stuff and like people relate to that. And that's what everybody goes through. It's just that, that vulnerability of being able to like put it online and share like your struggles and then come out of that in, you know, a a higher way. I think that's a, if that's a really good place for us, I think if you can give us a little background on your story and how your channel came to be, uh, and then we can piece all all of that together because I think you know you're extremely vulnerable online uh, to yeah. a to a really large audience. Yeah, it takes a lot of guts. You know, that not everyone has the. Um, I mean, people say that all the time, but I don't think it took guts. I just think I well, kind of left. I mean, I'm not the same person that I was before I was vegan. Honestly. <laughs> So my story kind of starts back in 2013, was it? Probably, yeah, about then. Yeah. Because it's 2018 now, or yeah. 2019. I so. what year it was Or 2014. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think my channel, I started in 2014, yeah. Um, and I, I had worked at a corporate job for seven years and, like, gotten promoted over that, and... My job was, we basically went into companies and helped them become OSHA compliant. So OSHA is the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. So we'd go into companies and like make sure they are trained properly, that they have emergency response equipment, like defibrillators and first aid kits and all this kind of stuff, right? One of my biggest um, clients was John Morrell, which is the largest pork slaughterhouse in the United States. And I had to go there and it's just, that was like the point that I went vegan. So I went inside and I was actually, I went through the entire facility. I didn't actually see any pigs get slaughtered because they wouldn't show me the kill floor, but I had to go through like their whole process of what they did there because my job was to make sure they were doing things correctly and safely and that nobody was getting hurt. So I saw like basically everything, you know, like everything being chopped apart, everything going through the lines and being packaged and all that stuff. And when I was in there, I was like, this is just like a massive butcher shop. And I didn't care. And I left that day and I saw like seven trucks lined up outside filled with pigs. And I had to walk by these trucks like right next to them to get to my car. And it was like that moment, I feel like I want to (laughs) cry, that I just saw all these pigs and I knew they were going to die and they all looked terrified like screaming and their eyes were bloodshot and they were just freaked out and like it's it was as if they knew that it was coming and that was like the moment that I became vegan and you can really feel that memory yeah I can see it you're like it's like it was yesterday kind of thing yeah yeah it's a brutal experience like seeing animals before they're about to go to slaughter Mm -hmm. is the vigils and stuff yeah I'd never done it until late last year and it's it's certainly solidified because i mm-hmm. i was already vegan but it's solidified why i'm doing it mm-hmm. you you look them in the eye and i have photos and going back and oh editing editing those photos yeah um i found really really difficult because we had, we were in toronto and um yeah we'd go to a coffee shop and work from the coffee shop yeah 
and pulling up those photos in a normal environment and having to edit them, yeah, I found it extremely difficult. Yeah. Because you're looking at looking them back in the eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, brutal experience. So then and there, line in the sand, you yeah. decided to switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't really know what I was doing. So I ate like a junk food vegan diet for a while. Yep. And I was just eating literally like Oreos and just vegan junk food. Anything I could find that was vegan, like I would eat it. And then um, I started Googling stuff because my entire life, like I was always overweight. I was chubby kid. I was just always had weight problems. I was always like trying to diet and restrict my food. And then I would like binge. And through that kind of obsession, I kind of, I mean... I guess maybe it's just from growing up with my parents, but my family was also really big drinkers and stuff. And I just got into this really terrible cycle of like, basically I was an alcoholic. I was, I mean, smoking cigarettes. I was just super, super unhealthy. I had massive anxiety. Like I'm talking like panic attacks every single day that I just couldn't get over. And you're on Adderall as well. Yeah. At one point, I was taking Adderall for a few years and that was probably the only point where I was actually like a normal weight because (laughs) Adderall really just shuts down your appetite if you've ever taken it. Um, So yeah, I went online and started Googling stuff because I'm like, I can't just eat Oreos for the rest of my life. And I found a bunch of people on YouTube who were raw vegans eating what's called the 80-10-10 diet and they were eating just like massive amounts of food. And my whole life, I'd always kind of dieted and restricted. And I saw these people who were all very fit, very lean, athletic, eating just a ton of food, right? And they swore by it. So I just decided to try it. I started eating like 10 banana smoothies and just, you know, massive amounts of mangoes and fruit and all this stuff. And it was just another like kick in my ass because it didn't work for me. I'd never found a diet in my entire life that made me feel good, that I could eat as much as I want of, that was sustainable. So I ended up gaining 30 pounds trying that for a year. And I was always shaky and I just didn't feel good. And then I came across this guy who's from Canada. He was like a Instagrammer, YouTuber that had a couple thousand followers named Potato Strong. And he was eating just like potatoes and rice and beans and vegetables and I grew up in Minnesota in a cold climate and I'm like, this guy is awesome. Like I can do this. So I read Dr. McDougall's starch solution book and went from there. I lost 40 pounds in six months. I was eating as much as I wanted. I was super active. I had quit drinking when I went vegan and was doing like 80, 10, 10 and stuff. And I quit smoking. So I wasn't, I wasn't addicted to anything anymore. And it was like, everything finally came together. And then I started sharing that online and people just came from (laughs) all over the place. I don't know. Mm. Because back when I got on YouTube, every single person on YouTube was a raw vegan. Everyone. (laughs) There wasn't anybody except for this potato strong guy (laughs) who's still out there. Diamond in the raw. Shout out Will. (laughs) um, Eating like a starch-based diet. Like everybody was just eating tons of fruit. There was raw Mm. till raw till four 80 10 10 like if you weren't doing those two diets you were like destroying your health Mm. (laughs) and so i poisonous cooked food oh my god cooked food is so bad for you so (laughs) so i made this video about how i'd gained weight eating a lot of fruit because 
for me, it was never satisfying and stuff. And all these people just came out of nowhere and they're like, I did too. And I did too. And then my channel just took off. And people, people just wanted... empathize with yeah. what you were going yeah. through, I suppose. Yeah. 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 Like a lot of people that did Rato 4 and all that kind of stuff, they just ended up gaining a lot of weight. And then finding people like Hannah who had lost a lot of weight after doing it just by eating pretty much the same style of diet, but just switching your primary food source to starches as opposed to fruit. Yeah. It's much more satiating. Yeah. Um, that's what I've found anyway. Yeah. Brown and, rice, quinoa, potatoes, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Dr. McDougall, I've read like everything he's ever put out. I just love that guy. Have like, you met him? No, but I like cannot wait till the day. That I'd I love meet. to meet him. He I, seems like a great yeah. human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I met a lot of the other doctors like Dr. Greger and Colin Campbell and cool. Dr. Khan and those guys. But yeah. Yeah, not Dr. McDougall. One day. <laughs> One day, yeah. That would be really cool. If he's the guy that kind of like got yeah. you on the on the journey, on the road, I think mm-hmm. you'll uh, you'll really enjoy meeting him. I'll probably cry. He's like my well, grandpa. Let's, let's hope you don't cry. I'll cry. I'll definitely <laughs> cry. I'll be like, you saved my life. No, but he has a YouTube channel. He's talked about me a few times because I did cool. a 30-day potato diet and everybody was freaking out that I was going to die. Yeah. But potatoes are actually one of the only foods that you can get every single nutrient from. And it's mm. like, if you look at the longest-lived cultures in the world, the Okinawans, like, a lot of these people, like, they're all eating starch-based diets, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, in Mexico where they're eating corn or Asia where they're eating rice or other areas where they're primarily eating potatoes. Yeah. It's all starch. Yeah. Base of their diet, long long-lived mm-hmm. healthier living compared to what we're seeing now in in western societies where like you know the last decade and a bit of our life can be just on meds oh my god basically i know but and yeah. i mean i'm not somebody who wants to live forever but if i can be you know doing everything i'm doing now when i'm 100 and i can drive around and i can walk and i can do everything and go to the bathroom and do like you know make it till the end that's i think that mm. should be everyone's goal it's not who can live the longest it's who can live the most like the best life in those later years because just seems like now you hit 60 and you just start falling apart that was totally my perception of what happened like i'd seen it in my family so that's what i kind of i'd kind of consign myself to that i thought that was it and it was just like a luck of the draw thing but you look at yeah. these like plant-based doctors who are now like 85, 90. The one guy was a, I can't remember his He's name. like a heart surgeon or something. He surgeon. just passed away. He just, he just passed, passed away. He's like, what, 103? It was 104. And he was mowing his lawn. He was yep. going for walks every day. He was cleaning his, like he didn't have any help. No, he was an amazing guy and um, spoke about this uh, in the previous episode, but he, he was doing surgeries until he was like 94 yeah. or 95 years old. Yeah. Like, I don't know how I, like going under the knife and like t- getting told your surgeon's 95, but then you meet him. And he's like the best surgeon in the and world. And he's completely, you know, yeah. brain health, function, uh, physical health, yeah. all there, all there. And uh, he, he certainly lived a, an independent life up until mm-hmm. he passed away. So, yeah. Um, and he, he went uh, plant-based at 55 years old, I believe. So think Come about on. us who went plant-based in our 20s. We'll be like mm. killing it. Yeah, we <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> no, but it just shows that like it doesn't really even matter what you do up to that point. Like you can reverse pretty much everything. Like heart disease is totally 100% reversible. It kills the majority of the people in this 
continent, this world, you know, like it's ridiculous. And that should be our goal, not being like the skinniest person or the whatever person or, you know, the longest lived. It should be, did we make it and be like totally functioning our minds, our bodies, everything? Because that's like, I mean, what, what, what else do we have? Right. Yeah. I don't want to be in a nursing home and have people wiping my butt. (laughs) No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if, if you still have your brain health at that point in life and yeah. you have to go through that, it'd be demoralizing. To forget your whole life every other minute yeah. and, you know, not remember anything. Be, be so sad. And it yeah. would be scary and it would be confusing and you'd yep. be like, where am I and what is going on? Like, why why would you want that? I think mm-hmm. if, you have, if you have the ability to just, you know, stop for a second and think about that, yeah. really try and feel that, it, it's gonna imp- it's gonna impact your life now, uh, mm-hmm. and it's gonna at least make you look at what you're choosing now. Right. And if there's any changes you can make that might, you know, change help, the outcome yeah. or help your future self. Help your like, future as well. Yeah. Like I think we often think of ourselves as invincible. Like we're pretty young. You guys are early thirties. I'm nearly thirty years old as well. And you know we often think of ourselves as invincible and uh, you know oh. But we're not. Something could take yeah. us out real quick. <laughs> yeah. Like, we could be gone in a second. Exactly. So, I think we really need to check in with ourselves and yeah. ask ourselves what we want in the future and uh, not shy away from the fact that our choices now do make a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not just health. Right. We were talking about environment before. And, oh, my gosh. You know, if, we want, yeah. if we're going to have kids um, and, and we want to bring them up and... We want them to live into a into a healthy world. We're going to have to start making some changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose we've kind of got the two stories up here now. At what point do they intersect? Do you guys, um, you were both vegan when you met? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I was living in my parents' basement. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds so romantic. It's like, oh yeah. <laughs> when, when will they make the, the music? Well, when is the motion picture coming out? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went through uh, some dramas and stuff online with Harley and uh, Freely. And this was like probably a year before I started chatting with Hannah or maybe almost a few years. So when she started going through dramas with them, that's when I like reached out to her and I sent her a message because I'd seen her on YouTube. And actually at that time, my channel had more subscribers than her. So oh. that's, and it was really funny when we first started talking, she's like, um, I'm like, your channel's just going to kill mine in like no time. She's like, no, it won't. And then sure enough, but um, yeah, so we started chatting online and just reached out and it was pretty, it was platonic completely at the start. Like, just we're just friends, kind of, yeah. We're just friends, just chatting. And I, think it's, I think it's a good way to actually, start. Yeah, I had a, I had a he had a girlfriend. <laughs> Let, let's just be honest here. <laughs> if it's not platonic at the beginning online, you're probably being a bit more of a creep. Probably. Yeah, or, like slide you know, into the DMs. Through like... YouTube or... Yeah, exactly. So I'm glad it started out that way. It's pro- yeah, <laughs> like I, I, I knew the kind of shit that she was going through. Yep. Like, can we swear on this? Is it... Oh, okay. Can All we right. swear? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, yes, you can. No. Um... So yeah, we were just kind of going through the same stuff online and just reached out to her and we just started chatting. And then um, I think it was like at least a few months after that initial contact, like I'd broken up with my ex-girlfriend at that time. And we just started, I was just like, oh, I'll just send like Hannah a message, just kind of see what's going on with her life. And then it just kind of took off from there. 
And that was in December 2014. And you're living in Canada? I was living in Canada. And you were living in Minnesota? Uh, it was 2014. So I did start was my it? channel in 2013. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Dates are getting Dates fuzzy. aren't. It, timelines it's all good. don't matter. It's all, no, timeline's not super important. No. So yeah, we just started. Um, yeah, it was December 2014. Then March 2015 is when I went and visited you in Minnesota for the first time. Yeah. And I spent like 10 days, I think. Yeah. I can even remember the dates. It was March 5th to 15th. This is when I bought the bananas that he did. Yeah, this is when I... Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. from there, I mean... How like, rude, even, man. Like, even before... You, you asked for bananas, and then you didn't even <laughs> eat one. <laughs> you ate a couple of them. So, it was like, even before we met in person, like, we already kind of were not... We weren't romantic in terms of, like... Yeah, we were. <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah, I guess we were. I mean, but, like, there was, like, a romantic connection there, but, like, we'd never met in person. It just until... kind of depends what your definition of romance yeah, sure. is. Like, is it Skype, you know, fooling around? Whatever. Pre, Pre-Tinder days. Yeah. 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 Was it? Well, I Tinder, think, I think Tinder it probably been. wouldn't have got you guys in contact because it was probably a bit of a large radius in terms yeah, of yeah, distance. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, that's kind of how it got started, and we just kind of went from there, and then yeah. I think we knew pretty quickly that we wanted to be with each other for the long term. Mm-hmm. And then I basically went through the, uh, the process of getting a green card to come to the States. So that means that we had to get engaged um, and go through that process uh, so that I could actually live down here because we, we looked at the situation and we we're like, well, Derek, you're living in your parents' basement. Yeah. Um, I had a house I, and a Mercedes. I was and, and a job and, and all <laughs> but that. But I was like stuff. so in debt. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, let's even. No, so... I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> like, let's keep moving on. All got, quick de- 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 Long story short, you got out of debt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah. sold it yeah. off. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. W- he was just going to bring up the fact that like I had a house and a nice car and all this stuff. And he actually had more money, like, when it was all said and done than mm. I did. Because I had, like, lots of credit card debt. My house wasn't worth shit. Yeah. <laughs> My Mercedes, I lost so much money on it. Because it was just, like, a company car. But I owned it. That's an important thing. Like, you might, like, look at yourself and be like, you know, I'm living in a van. Obviously, I have, like, a lot of freedom. You have a lot of freedom with your life. But when you're looking at other people and you're like, oh, wow, they've got this fancy house and they've got this fancy yeah. car. But the vast majority of them are in hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. Yeah. So if they lose their job and they can't pay those payments every single month, the bank will take that very quickly away from you. So if your house goes into foreclosure or your car gets repossessed, it's debt is like the illusion of being prosperous. Mm -hmm. So like we could go out and yeah, we could buy a couple of Teslas today if we wanted to and just start making those monthly payments. But if we weren't able to pay that car off, they will take the car back. So debt is this incredible thing that gives people the illusion that they that they have a lot more than they actually have. And maybe they will pay it off, maybe they won't. But especially, you know, I've had to go through a lot of that myself because I've been going through all these transitional periods in my life where it's like I didn't have very many material possessions, but I could save money so fast and go on adventures and travel that other people couldn't. Because they had all these certain things that were tying them down in their life. Because like, yeah. like when I was living in BC, I was living in my friend's basement living room. And I was working at a grocery store making 10 or $11 an hour. So minimum wage in Canada. But I was still able to save money and go travel. And 
Vancouver is a very expensive place to live, but I was able to cut down on my expenses so much and only have a bike that I rode around on and like live so inexpensively that I was able to save money and buy nice things that I actually wanted. So if I wanted like a nice laptop, because that was like obviously something that I, I would always be using for YouTube, I could go buy a nice one because I wasn't wasting my money on like knitting stuff. Yeah. Like knitting. little, like just like random, <laughs> like, like random, random stuff that I don't, you know how to knit, get to like work. I wasn't going out and just going to the bars and drinking and you know, stuff like that. Obviously that yeah. comes with being healthier, but I wasn't just wasting my money on random stuff. I was only spending the money on like the things that I cared about the most. So prioritizing basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, once you guys get together, a lot of, a lot of relationships can basically come apart when it comes to the financial conversations. They're the tough conversations. They're the ones that people don't want to have together. Having two different financial situations yourselves, how did you navigate that? How did you... I think it was just easier because like I did... I had... When he actually got to the United States, I didn't have any credit card debt. I had like, taken all the ebook money we made and paid it off and didn't sell him. But he knew. Anyway. I knew because it's like, where did all this money go? <laughs> anyway, so I didn't have any credit card debt. So the only debt that I actually had was like material possessions that were worth money that I could sell. So we fixed up my house, sold it. I think we made like six grand, but we put a lot of money into fixing it up too. And then like we sold my car, we actually had to pay six grand to sell it because it depreciated so fast. But when it was all said and done, it was it was easier to just get out of the debt and move on than keep it. So when we moved to Tucson, we sold my car. We rode our bikes for over a year everywhere. We didn't even have a car. Probably for at least six months. I think we got the Jeep. We got the Jeep when I started building the tiny house because it was just like... Whatever. You'll, you'll realize yeah. watching yeah. this podcast <clears throat> that Derek gets very specific with things that don't matter. So <laughs> moving on. I mean, we like roughed it just so that we could have enough money to like pay cash to build this house, which was around $30,000. And then... You know, we like would go to the store with a baby cart on the back of our and that's how bike. we got groceries. For that's a while. how we got groceries. Yeah. Like we'd bring our dog. Well, our dogs didn't really like the baby cart, but no. we take family trips to the park with the dogs. Like it was. Yeah. It was and like you put it on YouTube, right? You put those yeah. dog trips on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I started like what's now my handyman channel, it was called Life Inside a Box. And I vlogged for like 220 days straight of just putting out a video every single day. Yeah. So that's kind of how I kind of got started, I guess. And that was I starting, my, starting in Tucson when you that, came here? That was starting in Minnesota when we... It was the first day that the he first day came that I, to the United States. Yeah. Like when it was the first day that I started vlogging. Because I'd watched Casey Neistat so much. And I was just like, wow, this guy has a fa Well, he has a family. Um, you know, has his business. And he was still managing to to do a vlog every single day. And I was like... I don't got any of that stuff. I can do a vlog every single day. And then it kind of got tiresome after seven months of doing it. But um, yeah, you kind of yeah. have to prioritize. Like <clears throat> when you start to produce a lot, you lose your creativity and then you mm. lose your focus and your passion for what you're doing. Cause you're just like trying to push out content for the sake that you don't it. even really yeah. care about. Yeah. And it probably takes away from time actually building a tiny house. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't. I couldn't do the day. I I was still documenting the entire build, but I did it <clears throat> kind of like in more stages. So like, if I'd work on the house for like two or three days, I'd combine those two or three days into one video, as opposed to doing it every single day, which would have gotten pretty boring and 
The, it would have been boring. Yeah, this is something that I was going to bring up earlier. It's like quality of content is really big for social media as well. So if you're just putting out content for the sake of putting it out and it kind of sucks and people don't want to see it, then it kind of takes away. So if you kind of prioritize and focus on always producing quality content, something that people are going to watch, um, then it's going to have a much better reception as well. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So you have to mix from what I've just gathered from you guys, you kind of have to mix uh, the quality consistency of the content. Basically hmm. you yeah. don't want to be dipping in and out of, if you want to make it like a, you know, yeah. something you're going to live off. Yeah. Yeah. I think have... consistency is probably the biggest thing because well, once you gain like a following, like people, if you just, if like last year we in December, we went to Hawaii and I didn't put up a video for a month. And I swear, like, half the people even forgot I was alive, you know? <laughs> because mm -hmm. you just forget about people. It's social media. There's a million people on social media. If you're not putting out content, they'll forget about you and they'll watch somebody else. And then they'll be like, oh, I didn't even notice that Hannah was gone for a month, you know? Mm. So it is consistency. I think that's actually one of the biggest things. But it's also being passionate and creative about what you want to put out. And kind of thinking from the perspective of what would I want to see? Like, what what would I want like someone to help me with if it was me talking to like my younger self or something, mm -hmm. you know, cause most of my viewers are younger. On that topic. Is there, is there a challenge to, to gain balance? Yeah. Does it, does it, you know, going on holiday to Hawaii? Yeah. Are you worrying in the back of your head about, okay, I've, I've consciously maybe decided not to produce content for the, the time we're away. Well, when we were in Hawaii, it was actually filming. I just didn't edit anything and it. put it up till I got back. It's more like, it's the challenge of anything, you know? When you start something, you get really excited. And you're like, I'm going to do this every day because I love this. And then you start to, it's not that you don't love doing it. It's just you start to kind of lose that creativity. And you're like, this is really boring because my life is the same thing every day. Like, I eat the same thing every day. I do the same thing every day. And people just don't really want to see the same exact thing every day. Like, you can't just put make one video and then put the same video out every day. Like, people would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure you could. Well, YouTube would probably not monetize it. But anyway, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a balance that you have to find within yourself of, like, how often do you want to put out content? How good of content do you want to put out? And I don't know. Like, it's really for me about what do I feel passionate about putting out. Because for right. a long time, I felt really passionate about showing people all the delicious food they could make with just like plant foods, like whole foods, plant-based recipes. And then I felt really passionate about helping people with weight loss. And it's like now I'm at a point in my life where I don't want to be telling people like how much they should be eating or what they should be eating or what they should be doing and just really living my life from the perspective of this is how i live my life and this is what my life is and if you, you know, relate then right you know i'm sure there's a ton of people that's how you've built your following yeah there's a ton of people that can go huh i feel the same way as hannah i'm so thankful that she's putting her life out there yeah because it's it's maybe not for everyone mm -hmm. you know growing a following following of over half a million uh people Mm -hmm. the, their eyes are on you um you know maybe it isn't for everyone to to put yeah. themselves in the in the in the public eye like that but what you've been able to do for a lot of other people 
I'm yeah. sure that's got to be a driver as well, being able to actually help people and see the changes mm-hmm. in their life. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, just so many stories that we get all the time. Like, every day somebody has a story about something, like, you know, being able to get pregnant or, like, being able to, you know, not have chronic pain or being able to, like, does just not have digestive issues or acne or just, like, anything. It just helps so many people, but, yeah. The YouTube, like, I'm not, I would never tell somebody, like, you should do YouTube. It's really easy. And it's, like, easy money, you know? Because <laughs> it's really hard. And I don't know how long I'll even be on YouTube, you know? But it's, like, I know that I'm on YouTube right now and that I want to do YouTube. And I'm going to just live in the moment and do what I can and try and help and inspire people. Another important message. Yeah. Living in the present, I think. Mm-hmm. Definitely. If you're, if you're living in the future or the past in your head, that's when the the anxiety or depression mm-hmm. um, can come through because yeah we're not living in the in the now right how about you moving to you know to YouTube and and the progression of your channel I mean I just kind of took a break from my channel actually just because okay. I because we basically Hannah and I both kind of found that it's really hard to do two things really well. Um, between two people between two people so it's basically when we started like uh, it was called raw to whenever when we started it's like it was the two of us working essentially full-time on this business to get it to the point where it is then it was probably about a year year and a half ago it's like well i'm gonna start doing my own thing while trying to maintain you know what she's built and you know i'm doing these big construction projects and i'm creating my own products and i'm creating you know lots of videos for youtube as well and it just got to a point where it's just, it's just like we we've got to choose to do two things kind of like half-assed or do two th- or do one thing really well so that's kind of like where we're at right now so yeah. that's one reason why we're probably well we're going to start doing a podcast because that's easier for us to kind of have that um, to be able to produce that content and whereas building then, building like a huge structure. building a garage <laughs> and building a house like these things are extremely time consuming yeah. and it's like sure i i physically could do it but should i do it and is my time better spent doing something else and you also so, don't really like doing it that i much. don't really like i like cons- i like building things on a smaller scale okay so like i've always been even since i was like a kid i've always been into like a little project so like one of the first cool things that i did as a kid was i took a um like a little push scooter that has like 12 inch wheels on it and i attached like a chainsaw motor to the back of it and rode it around my neighborhood like that was like when i was like 14 15 years old and like i built my first computer after i got a job at mcdonald's ironically enough um i worked there for like five years <laughs> oh shit yeah i had a lot of i had a lot of mcdonald's probably more than most people disgusting stuff but terrible stuff um but i've always been into like these small kind of like interesting projects like i'm really fascinated by knife makers guys who do like blacksmithing to make knives and i'm just like i like that's something that's much more interesting to me so probably when i get to that point where i'm actually making that stuff then i'd probably want to do videos as well just because it's it's kind of weird for me to like work on something now and not make a video and not record myself which is kind of weird like so now, just, but you are now going to take a break from that. Yeah. So I. Yep. So like Hannah. Just, I mean, like, what we've you got make like an, about right now. <laughs> what's that? You just like your channel is about building stuff. Yeah. So there's nothing for you to make videos about right now. Right. Got yeah. It. Yeah. And so it's like 
so now I can focus entirely on what Hannah's doing and support her with social media, support her with all the stuff that happens on the back end of the business that nobody sees. Yeah. And like we've got an app coming out soon, which is going to be a plant-based meal planner app. Um, and so I mean... there's like all these like things that we're trying to do. And it's like, if I could just dedicate all my time to it, then it, things would progress much faster. And we'd probably be able to help so many more people too. So... Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's again back to the prioritization of like sure. what you were referring to when you were living in in Canada or yeah. traveling around Australia, just prioritizing the most important things at the top to benefit mm. the both of you. Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's a big thing because like I enjoyed the process of building this house that we're in, but what I always tell people, people are like, "Oh, you could build them and make money for," it. and I'm like, "I built one. That's good enough." Because it, 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 it's, it's a ton. It's so much work. And I think it was like six months, about six months of working on it almost full time. But so between 20 to 40 hours a week. And I was I was an electrician and I was pretty comfortable with construction. But it took a long time and I'm glad that I did it. But I would never do another one. So it's kind of gotten to that point. It's like I've done it. I've experienced it. And I know that it's not something that I want to keep doing because I know my skills and kind of like my knowledge and expertise is better suited somewhere else in life so like doing marketing doing sales doing online e-commerce type stuff is far more fascinating to me because i've seen how it's obviously changed our lives and we've been able to create all this stuff just with selling things that you can't even see that don't even exist that don't even like, exist in the physical world we do have some paperback books and we're going to get more into it because a lot of people request them but the vast yeah. majority of it has been ebooks ebooks and it's like we just put photos and words on a page and it's made us our living like it's made everything possible because we have the supporters and followers that buy that stuff you know mm -hmm. but i mean i think a lot of people when they do social media they also think um that they can just i mean once it gets to a certain point like once you get to a certain point and you actually want it to be a business it kind of takes a village <laughs> like i couldn't do it by myself i don't have the knowledge that derek has like he's a he could be a programmer like he's a, well maybe not okay. a programmer but yeah <laughs> but he's I know pretty good mean. with like coding and like all that kind of stuff nerdy he's, stuff he's yeah. very i'm like very creative and spontaneous and like woo, <laughs> like you know i'll get really distracted right and he will he he just like sees things like we should make an app because that would pro provide a huge value to people and I mean, because everybody's on their phone. Every, I know every minute of the day. But I mean, so I'm you not gotta that, be where people are. I'm not yeah. that kind of person. So yeah. we make a really good team because I'm yep. more like the creative. I love making videos. I love editing videos. If I could make as much money as I make now, just like editing everyone's videos, I would totally do it because <laughs> I just love editing them, and I love the creative side. But I don't have that business side i have the drive from being in sales and stuff but i don't want to have to do all the back-end work and you know build a website and all this stuff i'll take photos and i'll like write words for a website but i just don't want to have to like do that stuff so we actually have like a support team that helps us we have app developers we have a website designer like we have a book graphic designer, designer yeah. a book designer like we have a lot of people that it goes into it. and we did do it all kind of by ourselves when it when we first started but then we just recently redid everything because we did it on such a shitty scale because <laughs> we wanted to do it ourselves but 
yeah, when you like, because I did all of our book designs, I did the the original website, and a number of a it, number of years into it, we finally got to the point where we're like, okay, we can hire somebody to do a much better job than what I can do. So it's also about delegating and being able to trust other people with it and to be able to get people to help out in that way. And it's made my life so much easier because there's certain things that I'm good at. And then there's certain things that I don't have the time to like really get into the details about. And with e-commerce and websites, there's so many little issues that can pop up. And I'm just like, I just don't know. Like, I just don't know how to do it. I need to pay someone a hundred dollars to fix this for me because I just have no idea. And if it takes them a couple hours, then that's perfect. And I think that, like, that's a big lesson in life that you have to learn is we're all really good at some things, but we're not all really good at everything. You know, like, no one would have gotten as far as they have gotten. Like, Elon Musk would never have gotten as far as he had gotten if he didn't have a team of people working behind him that were also extremely good in their field. You know, so, like, it can be very easy to think oh I want to do all this myself and I can learn it because I have the time because I quit my job and started a YouTube channel or whatever but you kind of have to like know when to pass the baton Mm -hmm. and just it's with anything it's like if you want to go to the gym and start working out and you have no idea how to work out you should probably hire a personal trainer or something right because you're gonna hurt yourself and you're just gonna set yourself back and then you're just gonna quit but if you have help and you have the expertise of someone else and you realize that you don't have to do everything yourself and that it actually does pay to like pay someone else to do the stuff that you either don't want to learn or just don't want to do. I think the really cool takeaway for me on that is that you've you've bootstrapped it to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, you've gone about uh, the big... Well, for a long time, you've you've gone about doing it yourself. But once the business starts to grow into something that, I don't know, maybe you didn't foresee when you first right. began YouTube, but it gets to that phase where, hang on a second, you know, we've actually got customers and people that um, want us to deliver mm-hmm. quality products. Mm-hmm. I'm not the person to actually make that happen anymore. Right. You know, it's the business has outgrown me on my own or us together we're going to have to start mm-hmm. looking elsewhere to, mm-hmm. to get some help. And there's yeah. no problem and, with that. I mean, I know people, like I have friends on social media that have entire teams that work for them. And like, I never wanted to do that. I like personally hiring just contractors. I mean, like, you're the website guy, <laughs> you're the designer guy, and they don't actually like work for you, you know? But like the team will always be Derek and I. Mm-hmm. he actually manages everybody i don't even know who these people are honestly <laughs> i know one of them i know janine our book designer mm-hmm. but that's it <laughs> yeah that's probably it's probably been the, the hardest thing for me because i'm very like diy minded is letting other people do things for me so am i oh my god i've always been like i'm gonna like, do... i had to give up on this garage here just because the sheet metal portion of it is very it's not difficult in terms of like skill it's like you need guys who are experienced, guys who know what they're doing. And I'm just like, I just don't want to do this. And so it's I just got to outsource this. Kind of stubborn. Yeah. To a stubborn yeah. or I don't know. We're both stubborn. Yeah, we're both very, yeah. Because like, yeah. I just, like Hannah's like, oh, we could do this. And I'm like, yeah, I can build that. Like, that's no problem. And because then, I want to I, I I buy think... something and he'll be like, I can build it better. <laughs> Okay. But that's just that's just my mindset. But, but I don't know because I'm mean, very DIY minded. So yeah. I know like because I've done like every 
everything that you see here, like the fence, the house, the solar system, the garage, half done. Um, I mean, a lot <laughs> of it could have been system. done a little bit better, though. What could have been done a lot? <laughs> the fence, now. the fence. The fence isn't that bad. It was my first time doing a fence. I know. You got to give me props for at least trying. But our other house, like so we're having, we just met with the designer to the architect to, and it's like nice because we can tell him this is what I want. Figure it out. Like, here's your money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't have to be an architect. We don't have to, you know, even the builder that's building our house, like he just has subcontractors that come in and do the framing and do the concrete work and do all that stuff. So it's just somebody who delegates stuff to other people Mm -hmm. as you said you've experienced it once and then maybe you don't need to experience it again you're at a point in your your life where you don't need to experience it again doing it solo i'm sure once the house is made you know you'll still be creating things Mm -hmm. for and around the property oh Uh, absolutely more suited to your skill set they'll they'll just be (laughs) they'll just be much smaller things so like you know i want to get into woodworking and metalworking and kind of you know, kind of dive deep down there and start doing small projects like that. I'm still very fascinated by like doing things myself. And when I see certain craftsmen um, and I see what they make and I'm just like, how do they even do that? Like I'm fascinated with how they do it and how it looks so good. And obviously when a lot of guys, they do things themselves, obviously the quality is going to be far superior than anything that you can buy from the store. Little things like that, that I'm very like interested in. Yeah. Another thing that you guys got interested in, I think it was last year was the world of like psychedelics mm-hmm. yeah um i was kind of getting interested in it around the same time mm-hmm. and i think i watched your ayahuasca experience multiple times just because yeah. i was i was very fascinated as, as you were saying before yeah um someone who i haven't really followed a lot is michael pollan he just released a book called how to change your mind um, Paul Stamets, we were just talking about before on the Joe Rogan podcast. So the kind of the world of mushrooms and LSD and uh, ayahuasca, I find super fascinating. It is. I haven't mm-hmm. experienced it myself. So I'd like to hand it over to you guys, how you came to that decision. I know you did it separately. Um, but yeah, how you came to the decision and, and what yeah. it did for you um, and yeah, what the experience was like. So... It's so well, we funny. met the lady on the on the vegan cruise last year. Yeah, so my friend Candice, she's one of my really good friends. She works at Rhythmia um, in Costa Rica. And, and she was just saying, like, you should really come try it. And I didn't even know what ayahuasca was. And I was like, nope, psychedelics, nope, not doing it. Because I had, like, extreme anxiety for a long time in my life. Like I said, everyday panic attacks and stuff. And I could just, I like, sometimes if I smoke too much weed... <laughs> I'll go on full panic mode, you know? And I was, I don't know. Like we were at like a weird place in our relationship where <laughs> I kind of get, got just kind of crazy. Like it was really hard for me when we first got married and stuff because I'd lived alone for so long and I was very, I'm just very introverted, very on, like want to be on my own, do everything myself that for us, like transitioning to living together and then living in a tiny house together and We've worked, like, ever since we got together, our, we've worked together from home. So, mm-hmm. a lot of people just can't relate to that because it's also, imagine living in a 200-square-foot house with your husband all day, you know? He never leaves. <laughs> I go to the gym, he never leaves. <laughs> but, no, I don't know. We were just at, I was at a place where 
I had kind of slipped into like a depression and I was picking up like old habits of drinking more often and stuff like that and having a history of like alcoholism and stuff in my family I just really wanted to fix to just figure out what was wrong with me you know so I don't I don't even know really how I came to the decision to go to Costa Rica but I had watched a ton of YouTube videos and just saw people's experiences and stuff and it's so funny because people always want to know what was it like was ayahuasca mm. like it's not something that anyone could ever explain to you like it's just the most bizarre like it's honestly like you take a step outside of your body and you're you're not you anymore and you're somewhere else like in a totally different world like you're you're gone i don't know no no i so as it's really hard to explain uh, in terms of what the experience is like, can you explain a little bit what the, or if you saw any benefits? Oh, for so, sure. Yeah. So if you've gone into this experience with anxiety, mm-hmm. maybe slipping into old habits. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, sure. what was it able to do? I don't like, I can't really explain how it happened, but there was a point in, I felt like my entire like system had just been rebooted. Like, it was just weird. So, it was the first night that I did it. And I had this just, like, vision of these guys with, like, a crane. I had a super bad, like, headache the entire night. And it just felt like they split my head open and they were just doing stuff. And it was really weird because I was, like, tripping on ayahuasca in the middle of Costa Rica. I didn't know anybody, right? I didn't even know where I was at some points during this trip. Like, I had totally forgotten where I was, who I was. I was, like, touching my body, and I was like, this isn't me. Like, it just felt foreign. And I just kept getting this message that they were, like, working on stuff. And I'd be like, what is going on? And they'd be like, stop moving. We're, we're like, <laughs> doing brain surgery or something, right? It's so bizarre. And then the next day, I had a headache the entire time. And, I mean, I did ayahuasca four times in a row. So, you do it four times at Rhythmia back-to-back, which is really excruciating. But the first night was just, like, the most... I could never explain what happened, but it was just... It was like I went through the depths of hell in my body and, like, the darkest places of my mind. And then I came out to just, like... It was it was truly, like, I was everything and everything was me. Do you remember confronting any anything dark yeah. or from, the, from your past? Like up front do you remember anything specific yeah so i think the biggest thing that happened was i was really confronting this like anxiety that i had had my whole life and it came in these like really dark waves of energy that i just can't really explain but it felt like i was dying like it was just like this whole darkness would overcome me and i i call it like the first night i did this (laughs) i called for the shamans like i was screaming for the shamans like help me because I was so freaked out and I was like seeing double of that. It was just so trippy, but it was, there, there was nothing wrong with me at all. Like the ayahuasca hadn't done anything to my body. It was that I was creating all of this in my head and it took me hours to figure it out. And then once I was just like, just chill, like nothing is wrong. You are creating all of this darkness and this madness. Like I was going through hell for hours and then it just dawned on me that like, I'm creating all of this. And then it was beautiful. Like the most beautiful thing you could ever imagine once I realized that. Hmm. And it was like, to me, you have a choice. Like you have a choice in your life to create 
darkness or you can focus on love and it was like do you want to choose fear or do you want to choose love and it was like love is trusting and knowing that you're safe and that everything's gonna be fine and fear this fear side is like constantly worrying and freaking out that all this bad stuff is gonna happen even though you don't even know what this bad stuff is it's just like you assume it's made up yeah it's like uh forecasting yeah Mm. we tell ourselves we're making up situations in our mind. Yeah. They're not actually reality. Um, but once I saw that and it just like all came together, it was like walking mm. through heaven. It was like the most beautiful thing and I can't even describe it, but it, I honestly had this just feeling that like I was everyone and everyone was me. Do you, is it also like, cause the, the comparison of the two situations you're describing are like polar opposites. Right. So, is it like your realization was that also letting go do you think and that that's what led you to this more yeah. pleasant experience like letting the anxiety go yeah uh, i don't i don't even know cuz i mean it's like when you're on ayahuasca it kind of it tells you what to do hmm. you know and you can choose like you can choose to keep going down this super dark scary path or you can be like just like it would tell me just like chill like choose love or whatever and i ended up having an ego death that night like i died like i was dead i swear to god like i was dead i was gone and everything went black and i was had this i was like floating in the universe and there were no stars there was nothing it was just me and i was just thinking like i'm gonna it felt like i had been there forever there was no time. Like, it was just the weirdest thing ever. Wow. It was like, I've been here forever and I'm going to be here forever. And I feel like that was kind of my soul's way of telling me, like, I'm infinite and I don't need to worry about, like, dying and stuff because I always had a fear of dying. And Yeah, you do. <laughs> then I started just thinking about, like, the medicine told me, like, why do you want to be, why don't you want to be in this darkness anymore? And I just started thinking about, like earth and like how beautiful it is and like waterfalls and like my husband and just like interaction and just everything that we have that we don't have when we're not here i don't know it was weird it's really it's it's mind yeah it's mind-blowing bizarre to like listen to a recount because not having done it or even if potentially if you have done it every experience is going to be different so i mean derek's is totally a friend of mine yeah um, because his, yeah. he's a very chill person. Like he doesn't mm. freak out. I, and... I, one thing that I learned from um, the Michael Pollan book was from studies of, of psychedelics was there was an overwhelming response from people that had tried them. Like I'm talking 90 plus percent where they lose that fear of death. Mm-hmm. Exactly what you were referring to. Yeah. Um, well, they've been giving like mushrooms and LSD and stuff to cancer patients because they're so afraid of dying that once they see, like, it's really like you see the other side, you kind of mm. see where you come from and you can ask the medicine, like, show me where I came from. But when you see it and it's so different from where you are, you can kind of freak out and then you're like, this isn't so bad. That's wild. It's wild. Do you want to go into your experience as well? Just to Yeah, sure. Hannah basically you. told me I had to go. Yeah. When you came back. I mean, we were trying to fix our relationship and he's like, we should do, we should do marriage counseling. I'm like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. So I'm like, we should go do ayahuasca. (laughs) He's like, okay. But I mean, 
let me just summarize like after so after i had that it was like mm. the world was like brand new and i was so grateful i i didn't really so you think about life right and you're like where did we come from like we're infinite but does this ever end like what's the point of this instead of always thinking like what's the point of all of this i was just like I'm just so happy to be a part of this. Like, whatever this is, like, I'm going to die and I'm going to go on and I'm going to be whatever and have a million lives and whatever. I just don't get the, I don't get the point. <laughs> but, like, I'm grateful to be a part of it. Like, I am a part of this. Like, how amazing is that? This is, like, incredible, you know? Were you practicing any gratitude before the experience? And have you, yeah. have you continued practicing that kind of gratitude after the experience? Yeah. Yep. But I mean, I think the biggest thing was like seeing my relationship in a different way mm. and not expecting Derek to like be this perfect person who whatever, because we all have our faults and we all, not that he's not perfect. <laughs> you look at him, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, it's just hard in relationships, especially when people get together because you're like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work out because I don't like this about them. I don't like that about them. But if you really love somebody, you, you accept them for who they are, you know? And we, it was more like I had to accept our situation for what it was and that, you know, we both work from home and like we're always together and we don't, our relationship is just kind of different. But the other thing that was really amazing was I never wanted to like ever drink again, ever. And I have had a few drinks since then, but I used to be the person who'd have one drink and then drink like two bottles of wine. Like I had no shut off valve because I just come from a family of alcoholics so it's just kind of like programmed in me. But now I can have like half a glass of wine and just be like, mm, this tastes like shit. And honestly, like the weirdest thing is after doing it, instead of drinking and like binge drinking, if I ever did have a drink, which I didn't drink that much, but if I did, it was like, Hannah's gone. <laughs> I like don't even like the taste of it. And it instantly makes me feel like shit. Whereas before mm. I would crave it. So it's really weird how ayahuasca just like even any psychedelic will just you can look at any study they it totally rewires your brain back to like default mode mm -hmm. before you had all this trauma and all these addictions and all this experience and all this shit and all these pathways were like screwed up like it just kind of resets you it's really weird yeah one of the interesting things that i noticed because i was pretty skeptical to like start off and how people are like, oh, this totally oh, transforms yeah. your life. And I'm just like, yeah, I've heard this like a million times. He was skeptical, like, but he is the biggest lover of psychedelics. Now. <laughs> oh my God. You're the biggest lover of psychedelics now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Got it. So like when she came back, so she basically told me, you, you told me while you were there, like, you got to come down and do this. Like, we're going to oh, get you booked up. And I'm amazing. just like, I'm just like, all right, like, I'll, I'll go do this. Right. Because like, I wasn't... I don't know, like, because I, I think I read some of the stuff that Candace, like, sent you and some videos on it. And I was like, yeah, that seems pretty cool. Um, when she came back, though, and I picked her up from the airport, I just noticed, like, something was, like, different in her. And they're just like, she seemed a lot, ha a lot more happier, kind of more joyful, carefree. And, like, she just seemed different to me, like, in, in a good way. And I was like, hmm, maybe there is something to this. So... I don't know how long after it was that I went. Was it like it a month? Long. It was yeah, like, like a, a month, month maybe. Yeah. So I went down there and had my own experience with ayahuasca. And the first night 
it wasn't there wasn't anything intense happen because I didn't have very much of it. They just kind of start you off low. But it was like the second night that I just had this incredible experience. So I st I think it was probably at least a few hours into it because they kind of give you like a glass right at the start and then like an hour and they give you another glass of it. And for anyone doing psychedelics, uh, for the ones that I've done, at least they taste awful all, they um, all across, taste awful. across the board. So just understand that like it's going to taste bad, but it'll 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 get a lot better afterwards. So <laughs> Ugh, it's like taking um, like it's worse than vodka. It's yeah, like awful. Well, ayahuasca tastes like coffee grinds. That it's, you're like this thick, yeah, it's like this yeah. thick, it's like this thick, sludgy. It's not the best, but no. <laughs> um, it's only momentary. So the second night I was just having this experience and I remember there was like a point where like I started seeing like fractals and I started seeing visions in, in my mind. And I was like, this is like, this is crazy. And then my body, I don't know for anyone who's listening who's ever done ecstasy, but it's like when you do MDMA or ecstasy, it's like this feeling of love. And that's what I was like feeling. Like I just felt so happy, so joyful, so loving. And that's when um, it was like during that experience that because you had kind of a similar experience that you wanted to have children. Mm -hmm. And so then when I was going through it, like I could see like me conceiving Hannah in some kind of like weird way um it's like well like having <laughs> like having sex with her but um like i could see like it was like i could almost see like the merging of the sperm and the egg together and creating this like kind of like white lighter explosion almost like in her belly like i could like i went through this like vision in my mind of seeing that and then i started thinking of like you know being a father and, and going down that route in my life and i was like like this is what i want to do like this is because i've because I had a vasectomy when I was like 27. So I just actually just got it reversed not that long ago. And so it's kind of been this journey of been like, like, I want to have a family. Um, and I want to have kids. I want to have, you know, grandkids in the future, probably. But for the longest time, I was totally against it. And it totally switched my mind on it. And I don't know why. And even like with drinking, same thing with Hannah. It's like, I like to have like a good craft beer every now and then. But there's just no way that I can get drunk, like just get totally plastered. It's just no way. And the interesting thing about psychedelics is that it's used very well for getting people off certain drugs. So people think of psychedelics as a drug. And obviously that's what it, we're shaped. Yeah, to... yeah. That, yep. that it's like really negative. But there's a lot of medicinal properties and it's not like, oh, it cures everything. But there there can be some like really good benefits of it. And a lot of people have gotten off, you know, like cocaine, heroin, alcohol, alcohol. a big one. Um, the guy that started Rhythmia was like the craziest oh alcoholic gosh. cocaine addict that was worth over a hundred million dollars. And he couldn't figure out, you know, why he was so miserable until he went and did plant medicine and he did a different type. He didn't do ayahuasca, but um, it's, it can have like a really profound impact on your life and yeah. some people have the experience and maybe they don't experience very much and it's totally normal and i think one of the biggest things is like you know because even since we've talked about it, a lot of people are like oh you're playing with like dark energy you're playing with these really negative things and they're usually from religious people that we get these comments and there's a lot of negative stereotypes specifically around like lsd mushrooms ayahuasca is probably not as common up here in the states but it's it's not nearly as bad as people think and it can be 
it can be very beneficial to your life in a number of different ways. And from what I understand, it's not it's not something that's going to be addictive. You're not gonna no. you're not gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna go on an ayahuasca trip every night of the week. <laughs> I mean, the people that work out with me, I do, but and like the shamans, obviously, but. Yeah. That's part I of mean, their kind of job though, right? They that is that is a part of the job. It's a little bit different. Yeah. I okay. mean, we have an opportunity to do psychedelics whenever we want. And yep. like, we don't rarely ever do them. I kind of forget about them every once in a while. Like they're, it's, is it like a check-in? You can come back and check in? Sure. Yeah. 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 It's just if I like, ever felt like maybe I started feeling like addicted to alcohol or something, like I would go do ayahuasca. <laughs> Yeah. Or I just do some mushrooms or something, you know, like I would, I don't know. It's, it's a really, it's, I feel like everyone should have the experience. I'm not saying that everyone should do it, but it's, it's, it was the most amazing experience of my life. Yeah. It was just such a trippy experience and watching, um, it's other a- podcasts. So like Paul Stamets, uh, what's the other guy's name that he's had, um, Remember that the video series that I went Hamilton Morris? That's yeah. it. So he did an entire series on Amazon and on iTunes called Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. And he goes through all these different psychedelics that he's tested around the world and stuff. And it's really fascinating. And his podcast with Joe Rogan was really um, kind of like eye-opening to me in terms of how he views drugs. Yeah. Um, you know, he looks at alcohol as a drug that you have to consume a lot of it. Um, it makes you act in crazy ways and it has a terrible hangover. And he classifies it and he's like, I I mean, it's not even that good of a drug. There's much better drugs out there and I have to agree with them. Like yeah. if you want um, an experience and psychedelics don't have to be used just for traumatic, like healing traumatic experiences or anything like that, which it, which it certainly can, but it can just be used for creative endeavors. So if you want a different perspective of things, um, if you just want to enjoy something in a different way, you can definitely do it on psychedelics. I also, but I think a lot of people think if you take a psychedelic, you're just going to see really crazy stuff. But like, that's not it at all. Not always, like, no. I mean, when I did ayahuasca that first time and even other times, like it wasn't even that I just was seeing stuff. It was like I was transported to like another place, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever felt that, but it just kind of felt like I was outside of my body and into the depths of my soul and like seeing all the stuff that I needed to see to have the experience Mm. that I came here to experience on this planet. Like, why did we come here? We all have a reason why we came here and it's probably not for what we've been doing, you know, because we're very driven by like stupid things, money, money and Mm. what we look like and all that kind of stuff. Extrinsic factors. Mm -hmm. We've been shaped that way uh, over a long period of time now, I, I suppose since, yeah, and the industrial age kind of comes into play when businesses yeah. start to scale, you know, massively. Marketing operations are now gigantic, and I mean, yeah, they're kind of playing to what our brains are drawn towards. But yeah. we're getting away from the intrinsic values that we have within that that make us happy at the end right. of the day that, that give us fulfillment yeah um, and that's why these drugs are illegal because if every i can guarantee you that if every single person in this world did an ayahuasca trip or a mushroom trip we wouldn't be caring so much about how much money is in our bank account and like how much 
we weigh and like what we look like and what kind of car we drive we would be caring about what the hell we're doing to this planet and like what our children are going to face because of the shit that we've done to it and not be like screwing around so much like we're screwing we're screwing around with the life of this planet so much you know it's ridiculous or the life of humans on the planet or the life of humans on the planet because the planet's gonna survive let's be honest it'll Mm. just wipe us out but yeah if we don't do something about it we'll be not we're not gonna be hanging around earth will be here and Mm. it'll repair itself it'll start again yeah and i mean you kind of think how many times has that happened before like are we just here to like try and fix it this time and not make the same damn mistake we made last time because if we're infinite we've been here forever like we've probably screwed up this earth many times (laughs) probably yeah it definitely opens your mind there's no doubt about it yeah um are there any other resources out there other than uh the ones you mentioned before that you've you've looked into i'm reading Mm. food of the gods at the moment by terence mckenna no i haven't um we haven't read i've I mostly Watch a just lot of videos. everything from YouTube. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, there's plenty out there. Yeah, Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia is pretty interesting as well. So I think if you're ever interested in any kind of psychedelic, that's really good. And then the free podcasts that Joe Rogan has. So the one with Paul Stamets, the one with Hamilton Morris, and he's probably got other guys on there. I think he's got one with Terrence McKenna on there as well. Um, those are all really interesting um, conversations that they have about that. And with doing any type of psychedelic, there's danger with anything that you do. So whether you overdose on caffeine or alcohol, I mean, there's obviously, there's a point where you might be able to do too much. So it's really important to source out like a reputable place, like if it's your first time, uh, source out a reputable place. There's places even around the United States that you can do ayahuasca. Um, do it in not, a safe place for yeah, sure. Yeah, doing it in a safe place with someone, like with people that you trust um because that's a big thing as well it can be you know very terrifying some of the feelings that that you're going through see i never had like super traumatic stuff happen to me as a kid so i don't think i have too much like trauma but i know just from being at ayahuasca and listening to other people's stories it's 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 like some people go through some crazy trips just some crazy stuff going on but the stuff that they come out of it with it's like incredible like arrhythmia they should take pictures of people when they come in and then when they leave because it's like there was this one lady there last time who wouldn't look at anybody. She was so, she just seemed so depressed and she was like really, she was overweight. So I think she had like some self-esteem issues and her husband, she had a really bad relationship with him, but she left and she was like the most popular chick at this place. She was like friends with everybody. She was like, it was like she was mm-hmm. glowing from the end. It was just crazy. But yeah, I mean, with psychedelics, the psychedelic isn't going to hurt you. It's more if you get crazy and try to jump off a bridge or something <laughs> because... So being a safe... safe Is it yeah. setting? Set and setting? Set yeah. and setting. I mean, I would never recommend anybody do it the first time without, like, someone experience. Who knows what it. they're doing. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, that's definitely a good uh, guideline. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So There's... for those who are listening, like, set and setting means your mindset and then the setting that you're in. Yep. Yeah. So you want to go into it with a good mindset. So... You know, people have told me that they've done like mushrooms while drinking and it's like, that's probably not the best thing to do. Like, and I guess it it depends like what your objective is. So do you want it to be something for fun? Are you just trying to get effed up? Are you, um, or is there a bigger purpose behind it? Because your mindset going into it can really direct where everything's going to go. 
Yeah, and some people just, like, do a ton of mushrooms and play Mario Kart all night. And I just don't see the point in that. Like, I mean, I would do... it make it really interesting. <laughs> It'd be really hard to play, but I mean, TV like... TV might be moving. What's the, yeah. the, to be able the to... level with the rainbow? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, to put, like, an eye mask on and really go within and have an intention and do everything mm-hmm. in that way is so much better. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, we're not, like, psychedelic pros, so I don't want to sit here and be like... You know, no, you guys I, should do it, and this is how you should do it. It's just if you feel like you want to, just make sure you're doing it with someone who is experienced in a safe place. There's a, even a place here in Tucson that travels. They're called the Yahe Church, and they travel and they do ayahuasca ceremonies all throughout the United States. Mm-hmm. Look, it's fascinating. I had to ask. Yeah. I'm glad I did. It's yeah, it's a really interesting um, area that I think as people on this earth we've gone away from Mm -hmm. from what Mm -hmm. i understand from what i've read you know i I can't say it's fact because at the end of the day we don't know but you know this could go back millennia Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely it could have they could have played a huge role in our development of humans um watch the paul stamets (laughs) yeah so he talks about this he, he talks about the stoned ape theory so essentially over you know hundreds of thousands or a million years um, humans, um, I believe it was in Africa is basically humans started taking mushrooms and stuff because mushrooms grow naturally on cow patties, um, a certain, a certain type, um, of psychedelic mushroom. And just through like consuming these over thousands and hundreds of thousands of years, like it actually changed our evolution. So I think there is obviously, you know, we can't really prove it, but it, on, it, on a it creative does, it does, level it does make some sense to me for sure that it's played a role in our yeah. development if you think about the development of like tools and art that's dr- mm-hmm. drawn in caves and stuff mm-hmm. like that if we were really you know not very um well, i suppose if we came from like that primate kind of place then i can see how that developed those exact things if it, mm. if it does expand the mind and yeah and and make you um think outside of your current reality mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i can totally see it um yeah. being yeah being truthful like a lot of artists and a lot of people use psychedelics for they, they've been using it like i know like fleetwood mac which is one of my favorite bands like they've been like there's you know reports that Stevie Nicks has used like LSE to write a lot of her songs and stuff, and I'm like, I totally would get that. Totally Steve Jobs, sense. I think, referred to LSD as a huge yeah. marker in his life. Yeah. Well, I mean, all the programmers and stuff in Silicon Valley are microdosing mushrooms. Yes. Stuff, mm-hmm. Yes. Know? Yeah. So it's just, I mean, I think it's really ridiculous that alcohol is legal and something like this isn't. Yeah. Right. That's I, that's, that's always one thing that I am always. It's just annoyed about is that I'm like, this is illegal, but you can go buy Mickey's and drink yourself to death. Drink your, like literally drink yourself to death. You could eat probably as many mushrooms as you wanted and it wouldn't kill you. And then we've got to, we've got to question it. I think we've just got to, we've got to really think about it, question it, try not to, um, try not to think about the, the constructs that society has developed and what we might've been told growing up, get away Mm -hmm. from that look at it literally weigh up it's like a, a cost versus benefits kind of analysis of of each different um choice we can make in terms of what we consume yeah uh and i know what sounds better to me mm-hmm. 
a, yeah. a hangover and vomiting and you know something that can literally kill you oh through God. addiction mm-hmm. sounds terrible Think sounds like it. a bad idea but it's legal it's on the market in the form of cigarettes alcohol mm-hmm. um so yeah i'm glad you guys have brought this to the table uh for for my listeners because i think it can it can go a long way in solving some of the mm-hmm. the society societal issues that we mm-hmm. we have at yeah. the moment i mean it could totally change the world but yeah it's like do you want to go to jail <laughs> like i mean as if you were promoting it on like a huge level like you could totally go to jail so i just don't want to say like anything like that but it could be the biggest thing that could change the world other than veganism i think on that note we can we can wrap it up okay that was epic thank you so much for having me thank no you problem. for coming it's been really awesome coming, to man. meet you and yeah can't wait to get this one live uh, for everyone sounds good cheers guys cool thank you hi there guys we made it that was certainly one of the most enjoyable conversations i've had to date plenty to learn from these guys whether it be health and nutrition financial advice or psychedelic experiences you can find hannah on instagram and youtube at high carb hannah and you will find derek at handyman that's h-a-n-d-e-e-m-a-n on instagram and youtube I'm not sure about you, but I find the psychedelic conversation fascinating. I think it's something we've been programmed to steer clear of. However, on face value, the benefits far outweigh some drugs that are currently legal and readily available on the market. I'd recommend the book, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan, and also the Joe Rogan podcast episode with Paul Stamets, if you are interested. As always, if you've got any questions about today's episode, please feel free to reach out to me at VegTalk on Instagram. That's V-E-D-G-E-T-A-L-K. And if you enjoyed today's show and have a spare minute, please leave a review and a rating for the podcast. It's awesome to hear your feedback and more importantly, it helps get the plant-based and vegan message to a much larger audience. In the past couple of weeks, The podcast has been growing strongly due to the amount of sharing and increased reviews and ratings. So a massive thank you to those that have helped out. Next week, we have another awesome show for you all. We'll be speaking with Nisha Balsara. She is the awesome human behind the YouTube channel, Lose Your Veganity. Go and check her out. Enjoy your week. Keep it plant-based and we'll talk to you soon.